Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8 today. As we get back to our study of Hebrews after not doing it last week, but uh, picking up where we left off and talking about Abraham. Uh, as I said last week, this is not a bad text, however, for a New Year's message because it shows Abraham looking to the future, if you will, looking to what God has promised and pursuing that which God has promised. But there's so much about Abraham that we, uh, we can kind of pass over sometimes, I think. And I hope we'll take a few moments this morning and think about it. As a matter of fact, we'll look at Abraham for a couple of weeks, if not three weeks, uh, in this passage because it's the longest passage uh, in this chapter. Uh, you know, Noah and others are hit with one verse, and then you come to this passage on Abraham, and it covers a majority of the chapter almost. Uh, same is true in the book of Genesis. He's the, uh, the, the story of Abraham and the accounting of Abraham's life is the longest uh, account pretty much in the book of Genesis. Even, even the creation story is, is much shorter than the story of Abraham. Abraham is a very important character in the, in the, in the story of the Bible, in the whole, as it's called, the meta-narrative, the big picture. Abraham figures in in a very significant and very important way. Most of you probably know that Abraham is claimed by at least three different religions as a key figure in their religion. Obviously, in Judaism, Abraham is considered the father of Judaism. He's the one who first heard the call of God that we'll talk about this morning and followed him out and was given the sign of circumcision that, that identified the Jews in that day. And so Abraham is highly respected and highly viewed in, in the Jude, uh, Jewish religion. He, he's also claimed by the Islamic religion, by, uh, by uh, Muslims. They claim that theirs is an Abrianic uh, religion coming from the same root as Judaism and then thirdly Christianity that views Abraham as a very significant figure in the whole story of Christianity. Now that would be the case because Christianity, as we know, flowed out of, found its birthplace in Judaism because it was through the Jews that the Messiah came. And, and so the Messiah, the, uh, Abraham and all the other patriarchs and all the other prophets were pointing toward the coming Messiah. And so Abraham was pointing to that from the very beginning. And we'll see next week how some of his actions and some of the things he did were really precursors to. They, they really were types of what was about to come in Christ. And so Abraham is, is very clearly a part of the Christian faith, and, and we see it in this passage particularly. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews records in, starting in verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 16. We may or may not cover all that today. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful to what he had promised. Therefore, 
there was born even one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now all these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God. In talking about faith, now, we've been talking about faith for weeks now, so we've looked at chapter 11. We even saw what the definition of faith was at the very beginning of it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, and for, for, for by it, the men of old gained approval. It is faith, the scripture says, that pleases God. It is faith, the scripture says, that demonstrates that we belong to him, that we are his. It's by his work. We sang about it this morning in rejoicing the fact that he has made us his own. We, we revel in that truth, and it's by faith that we come to, to see the glories that God has given. Abraham was no different, although he was thousands of years before we ever were. But we find Paul particularly utilizing the truth about Abraham to demonstrate the significance of Abraham to you and me. Look with me for just briefly at, at Romans chapter 4. If you look in Romans chapter 4, the, the apostle is talking about justification by faith there, and he takes in chapter 4 the Old Testament and, and proves that justification, that is, being declared righteous before God, being declared right with God, has always been a matter of faith. Never been a matter of law, never been a matter of works, but even from Abraham on, from the Old Testament on, it's always been those who place their faith in God, their trust in God, that find right relationship with God. It's not out of man's actions. It's not out of what a man or a woman might do or can do. It's what God has done in declaring them to be just, and he does that on the basis of faith and faith alone. In Romans uh, chapter 4, looking at, at verse 9, beginning there. I'll just read a short passage. It is this blessing then, excuse me, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Wasn't his circumcision, wasn't his obedience to law that brought about his righteousness, it was his faith. How then was it credited? while he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. That is, before he'd gone through any religious ritual, before he had done anything, because of his faith, because of his belief, because of his trust, he was declared righteousness. Righteous. And then verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. Now, now, Paul is making it abundantly clear here that Abraham belongs to those who believe. Those who believe what? 
He's not talking about some nebulous faith here. He's not talking about, well, if you just believe, no matter what you believe in, if you just believe, then that's going to be credited to you as righteousness. No, the whole purpose of Romans is to show that genuine faith, saving faith, Faith that really does something is not faith in just something, but it's faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul has made it clear here in Romans chapter 4 that when one has faith in Christ, when one really believes, then they become the children of Abraham by faith. And Abraham really is their father. Abraham really is their forefather. Abraham really is their patriarch when they have faith in Christ. Because everything Abraham was doing was pointing toward Christ. Everything Abraham was, was believing was pointing toward the one to whom real faith was to be expressed one day. Paul goes on there and talks about it. In verse 13 he says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Then Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians over in Galatians chapter 3 in verses 6 and 7. Very simply, Paul said, even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Even more clearly there to the Galatian Christians, that those who have faith in Christ, those who believe in Christ, they are the sons of Abraham. They are the children of Abraham. Remember that word reckoned is very important. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We've talked about that before. It's the same concept of uh, imputation. It was imputed to him as righteous. It was reckoned to him as righteous. Not because he was a righteous man, but because of his faith, he was declared righteous. It was, as it were, added to his account by God himself that he was declared to be a righteous man. You know, there are many things as you look at Abraham's life, matter of fact, any of the patriarchs, any of the biblical characters, there's, uh, there's many things you look at in their lives and you kind of stand there and you scratch your head just a little bit and you say, that's not righteousness. That was not a righteous act. That was not a righteous deed. How can you say that Abraham was a righteous man? He was a righteous man because he was reckoned so. He was declared so by God himself on the basis of his faith. Yeah, Abraham did some things. He lied. He deceived. He did some things that we would not count as a very righteous deed in his own self. Just like you do things, that if we look at your life under a microscope, and maybe not even under a microscope, maybe we can look at it just with the naked eye, and we can see in many of our lives that there's a lot of things that come up, a lot of things that we do, a lot of attitudes that we have, that I would not consider, even in my own life, to be a righteous attitude or a righteous act because we still struggle with that. But on the basis of faith in Christ, we have been declared righteous. And if you just read the Old Testament account, you may never know that about Abraham, but you know that because the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, and Paul says in Galatians and Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that this man is a righteous man, declared so, reckoned so, imputed so by God himself. So we understand that Abraham, when we want to understand who the children of Abraham is, you have to understand children of Abraham are through faith in Christ. Matter of fact, there was quite a debate about that, if you remember, with Jesus 
in his earthly ministry one time when he, when he called them the sons of the, de- called some of the Pharisees the sons of the devil, basically. He said, you know, you're, you're the sons of the evil one. And, and, and they looked at him and said, we'll have you know that we are sons of Abraham. We're not sons of the evil one. And, and he said, yet if you're sons of Abraham, why do, you, why do you not believe what Abraham was showing forth? Why do you not believe in the one who has come, who, who Abraham was pointing to? You're not sons of Abraham because you've not trusted the one who is Messiah, the one who, Christ, who God has sent as his Christ, as his Messiah, to be the Savior and the Deliverer, to make you sons of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you see Abraham as a foundational person in all of scripture and and made a foundational matter in the New Testament especially by the writer of Hebrews and and the apostle Paul He, he goes on here to talk about by faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going there's a lot about Abraham's faith that just puzzles me. I, I got to be honest. I mean, you and I, let's face it, we're called to faith, and we have God's word that says this is what God has done, this is what God has said. Here are all the examples from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament that said God is faithful and God acts in a certain way and God provides for his people. And you see illustration after illustration after illustration of that taking place. Abraham had none of that. Uh, it doesn't go into a lot of detail in, in Genesis, which Brother Scott read a while ago about the call of Abraham. It just says the word of the Lord came to him and said, go. I, I mean, I can imagine being Abraham sitting somewhere one day and, and somehow God communicating with him, whether it was verbally or, or, or through a dream or, or, or something like that. I don't know. The scripture's not very clear about that. But it is clear that God said, Go to this land that I'm going to give you. And it's amazing here. The writer says, when Abraham received that call, when he was called, he obeyed. Even today, with all the evidence that we have, we're usually not that keen on obedience many times. A lot of times when we see a call of God, even in his word that's so clear and so obvious, we want to say, well, Lord, are you sure? Lord, Lord, that's not really what I had in mind for my future or even my today. Lord, Lord, I'd really like for you to reconsider that call because, yeah, it's just not in my personality. That's not just not, in, it's just not my style. Lord, if you could reconsider that, I'd appreciate it very much. I mean, we, we want to argue with God a bit. We want to debate with God. We want to we kind of negotiate what God's will is and what God's call is in our life. Abraham didn't. There he was in Ur of the Chaldees. There he was just, just minding his own business. Obviously a man who had a lot. He owned land. He had family there. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go, and he went. He obeyed. The essence of faith is obedience. The evidence of faith is obedience. It's not some kind of just sitting around and saying, Oh, well, I believe. Mm, I believe, mm, you know, kind of some kind of mantra to say, or some kind, some kind of a 
I don't know, some, uh, some kind of ecstatic experience to, to say, oh, well, I, I really feel like it now. No, it's just a matter of obedience. When we have faith, we obey. James made that clear in his little epistle in, in James chapter 2. And you don't have to turn there with me. Just hear the words of, of James here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? That is no obedience. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, if it has no works, that is no obedience. It is dead. Faith without any obedience is dead being by itself. I mean, the writer James, half-brother of Jesus, some look at that and say, well, he's contradicting what Paul said. He's not contradicting anything. He's amplifying what Paul said. He's, he, he's maybe giving a little clarification of what Paul said, but Paul never said, just believe and then don't worry about it. He always said, believe and obey. Believe and follow. Be like Abraham was when he heard the call of God and he obeyed God immediately. Several things about Abraham's faith that I think we see in this passage that, that I just want to briefly mention to you because I think they're important to our own understanding of our faith. First of all, Abraham's faith was a responsive faith. He, he responded to God's call immediately. He set out on a journey. The scripture says not knowing where he was going to go, not knowing where this journey was going to lead, but he went responding to the, to the word of God. Again, so often what we want to say to God is, God, I want, to, I, want, I want to know your will. I want to follow your will. And Lord, if you'll just show me where that will leads down the road, 10 or 12 or 20 years, then, then if I like that, I'll follow it. That, that's not the way God's call typically works. 40 years ago when I responded to a call of God to ministry, I got, I got to tell you, he never told me I'd be in Somerset, Kentucky. Orlando, Florida, or anywhere else. He just said, I'm calling you to proclaim my word and teach my word. And at that point, if I had genuine faith, I don't sit around and say, oh, well, let me think about that. Lord, let me, let me struggle with that. Let me wrestle with that. If the call is there, you just say, yes, Lord, what's next? And typically, trusting God and obeying God, following him by faith, is like Abraham did it. You just get started. I've used the illustration before, and it, I think it fits with following God's leadership and trusting God's will and obeying God, it's a lot like tonight. If you come to the worship service and then you head home, you know where home is, generally speaking, and uh, at least I hope you know if you're heading that way, but you won't be able to turn on your headlights out there and see everything that, that is between you and your house. You'll turn on your headlights, you'll see about 20 or 30 or maybe 40 feet ahead of you, and, and if you just sit there, that's all you'll ever know is that 30 or 40 feet. But if you put the car in drive and start moving forward, every time you move 10 feet, you see 10 feet further out in front of you, and you move a little further, and, and if your lights are good, you'll see if a deer runs out in front of you, you can avoid it, or a car pulls out in front of you, and you can avoid it, or there's a hole in the road, and you can avoid it. I mean, but you only see that which is right out in front of you. Many times in following God, even as, as Abraham did, and as you and I must, it's, it's not a matter of, okay, I'm going to plot my life out on a, on a 
20-year plan or even a five-year plan. That's why I kind of, I'll be honest, and of course, some think I'm crazy for this, but I always laugh at churches that say, here's our five-year plan. Really? I I always think God's sitting in heaven laughing, saying, okay, we'll see about that. You know, this is what we're going to do. In in five years, this is where we're going to be. Well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. And Scripture says we ought to say, if God will, that's where we'll be. Not this is what we're going to do. But, but Abraham's faith and our faith must be a responsive faith. It must be an obedient faith. It must hear and obey. Or as the old hymn says, trust and obey. Secondly, it was a sacrificial faith. You know, Abraham was sitting there in the earth of the Chaldees and he, he owned flocks and he owned land probably and he had family there and, and he had everything he needed. There was, there, there was no want for him and yet he stepped out on faith and it was sacrificial. He, he had to leave behind some stuff, stuff that really made him comfortable, that really probably made him feel good, made him secure. But he said, Lord, I will follow you. So there was a sacrificial faith. He stepped out and left it all behind, not knowing where he was going. That says down there, if if he was really looking for a city, just any city, just a place to dwell, then he could have gone back to where he was from. But that wasn't what he was doing. He was looking not for just security, not just land. He was looking for that which God wanted to give him. He was looking not for just a place He was looking for God's best. In order to do that, it required some sacrificial faith. I think in our day, that's one of the areas, and again, I'll point the finger at me before I point it at you. It's one of the areas where our faith is so, so deficient. We don't want to sacrifice anything. We don't want to sacrifice our comfort. We don't want to sacrifice our our, our security in things other than Christ. We want to stand in that. But Abraham left it all behind. Abraham also had a courageous faith, I think we can see here. Not only responsive and sacrificial, but courageous in that he trusted God and he followed God and he didn't let fear. He didn't let fear be the motivating factor. He said, I believe this God who has called me is able to protect me. I believe this God who has called me is able to see me through wherever he's taking me. And he followed him based on that reality. It was a persistent faith that he had. He heard God telling the things that were going to happen. God said, I'm going to make you a father of nations. Your descendants are going to be like stars of the heaven. And they're going to number in number. And they're going to be innumerable as the sand is by the seashore. I mean, he said, listen, this is what's going to happen. And Abraham just got older and older and older. And Sarah just got older and older. And they didn't see that happening. Now, again... He wasn't righteous in and of himself because there came a time when he decided to help God out. And he decided that, well, if I'm going to get an heir, I'm going to have to do it some other way than through Sarah. And he tried to help God and he tried to do it himself. And it caused a mess that we're still paying for today in the Middle East. The truth of the matter is, though, he, he continued to believe. Even in his struggles, even in his, in his unbelief, he believed, if you will. He, he trusted God to do what he said he would do. And it was a dependent faith. It was, it was 
in God, looking forward to the promises of God, knowing that he couldn't do it, ultimately. Now next week we'll look at the whole Isaac situation and some of the things that went on there, some of the ways he had to trust God there. But I want you to see that, that Abraham's faith was always looking to the future, responsive, sacrificial, courageous, persistent, and dependent. It was always looking toward the future. And what God said is out there. It wasn't a physical land. It wasn't, a, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the, quote, promised land. He got there and he had to live as an alien in the land. He had to live as a foreigner. He was dwelling in tents. He didn't have a city. But he was looking for the city. The city which has foundations. Not tents but foundations, and whose architect and builder is God. He was not looking for just a physical dwelling place. He was looking for that which God had prepared for him, if you will, in the heavenly places. He was looking for a real city, the very city of God. Augustine developed the whole idea of the city of man and the city of God dwelling in, in, in the same sphere on this earth. But Abraham was looking for a city that God would establish, that God would build, that God would be the architect, that God would establish the foundations, not man. And then verse 13 makes clear that whether it's Sarah or Abraham or Isaac or any of the other people mentioned in this, in this chapter, all these died in faith. They believed up until their own death. And that's the real test of faith. You know, the idea that, well, I'll have faith today and I'll lose it next week or I'll lose it next year or I'll lose it before I die indicates there was no real faith to begin with. These people died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, that is with, with faith's eye, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they continued to wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled even, even though maybe not on this earth. But they would be fulfilled, they would be faithful so they stayed persistent in those things. For those who say such things make it clear they're not seeking a country of their own or they would have gone back to the old country. But they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. The thing about Abraham you've got to see is that his, his security, his quest... His witness, his confidence is not in what he could do, but in God. In the God who called him to leave his home and go somewhere. Somewhere he didn't understand, somewhere he didn't know. But his faith and his confidence and his security was not in the flocks and not in the land and not in being around mom and dad or, or, or brothers and sisters or other family, but his confidence, his faith, his assurance, his witness, his quest was in God. There's almost a picture of Abraham saying, I don't know where I'm going, 
But as long as I know that God is leading me, as long as I know that God is there, as long as I know that the one who called me will fulfill and will protect me, then I don't care about all this stuff. I just want to be obedient. I just want to follow him. I just want to see what he has prepared. I, I can't imagine what it might be to some degree Abraham would have had to say, but I want to see it. I want to be there. I want to trust him for it and find my security completely in him. I think the story of Abraham does two things to you and me. Now, two things that are not real comfortable. First of all, the story of Abraham really challenges our cowardice. It really challenges our timidity. It challenges our failure to say, God, you have called it, you have ordained it, you have, you have set it in motion, and I'm going to follow you and believe you. I may not be able to see everything. I may be traveling with a headlight that doesn't even go 10 feet. My faith is weak. It doesn't, even, it doesn't see far out there. But Lord, I am following you. But usually we're so, we have such cowardice in trusting the will of God. We have cowardice for our children. I mean, how many of you are praying that, that God would raise up your children to go and give themselves to the gospel in some foreign land? No, you're probably praying that they'll be very wealthy and very successful and be very, very exalted in whatever they do here. But what if it meant going to a foreign land and sharing the gospel and living the gospel and, and being a minister of the gospel and maybe never heard of never have anything more than just the mere sustenance to get by with, but they do it for the glory of God, and people come to faith in some foreign, unknown land because of their testimony. Are you praying for that for your kids? If you're not, it's probably showing our cowardice. And Abraham's testimony, Abraham's witness, challenges that cowardice. Cowardice to really not fully trust God. Second thing it does is it rebukes our materialism. It really does. And, and I mean, the, we, we like to think we're not very materialistic, but if we're honest, if I'm honest, very materialistic. I just pull up and leave. And leave everything I own behind? I realize Abraham probably didn't have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac who would come after him if he just abandoned his home back in that day. I, I realize that there would not be a, a, a creditor who was after his car because he didn't pay his bills. A little different, but maybe not really. It rebukes our materialism that we want to live in comfort. We want to love God. We want to serve God as long as it's comfortable to do so. As long as we can be surrounded by all the creature comforts that we Americans think are absolutely, totally necessary. Running water. Clean running water. Uh, indoor facilities. 
you know, those are things that we just we, we say, oh, well, those are those are really necessities. They are necessities to our way of life. They're not necessities to life. They're necessities to our way of life, but they're not necessities for the sake of the gospel. Now, I think the thing that Abraham does, it challenges us in our cowardice and our, our materialism. And if we're honest, it makes us stop and just pause. Am I really? Am I really having faith? In Jesus Christ above everything else? Or am I having faith in Christ when Christ is doing what I want him to do in my life? Am I having faith when Christ is making things comfortable for me? You know, I read that passage from Habakkuk. It's called worship. And I just, I love Habakkuk's confession of faith there. He says, though the crops should fail, though the flocks should fail. And he's already acknowledged that God's in control of that. Though all of that should happen, yet I will exalt, yet I will worship, yet I will find my joy in the Lord. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Lord blesses and the Lord takes away those blessings sometimes to get our attention. But how many times do we say, oh, God is so good when he's blessing. We say, oh, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? If the blessings aren't there as we think they ought to be there. I believe it was David Brainerd that said, the, the missionary of the Indians, a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards. I, I think it was Brainerd that said, you know, we sometimes may be confused. God's greatest blessings may be when it seems to us there are no blessings at all. Because they demand our attention. They demand that we really come to grips with who are we trusting. Are we trusting ourselves and our employer and our economy and our bank accounts? Or are we trusting him? And him alone. Abraham gives us a good picture of what it means to trust him. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, It is with a sense of a sense of conviction that we come to Abraham. 
sense of realization. That maybe his faith really does show an antithesis to my faith. That his willingness to say, yes, Lord, I will obey. Don't know what that means. Don't know where it's going to take me. Don't know what kind of struggles are out there in front of me. But yes, Lord, I'm going to obey. Because you have filled my life with faith toward you. You have, you have called me to yourself. You've made me your own. And you own me. I'm your doulos. I'm your slave. Because you paid a great, paid a great price. Father, help us be like Abraham and looking to the future. Not thinking we have to know everything that's there, but just knowing enough to follow and be obedient, trust. Lord, I pray for men and women who are here this morning, young people who don't even have a clue what we're talking about. Because they've never come face to face with Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that this morning your Holy Spirit will work upon their lives and open their eyes to see a need for a Savior and open their hearts to believe. And that they would, like, Dave, like Abraham, be responsive in faith to your grace upon their life. Father, I pray for others like me. Others like me who can get so caught up in the stuff that we forget what's really important. Lord, help us be willing to leave it behind, to give it up, to obey you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.